0: Welcome to the 34, 34 Circe Salon. Welcome, Welcome to, to, to
1: Make Matriarchy Great make, Again. Matriarchy make, matriarchy matriarchy matriarchy. Matriarchy. Again. <laughs> Proudly did she ride about Freya, queen mother of the Vanir, her chariot drawn by cats as dark and sleek as the night, until just at the moment one might catch a closer glimpse, she would be off through the forest, mounted upon the back of Borsti golden boar charging between the trees. But if one chanced upon Freya in the woods, she would gather up her falcon wings and soar past the tops of the highest pines, the tips of her vast wingspan brushing against the clouds.
0: And so begins, fittingly... (laughs) Our discussion, our praise of the goddess Freya.
1: Indeed, indeed. Fittingly,
0: fittingly, we were talking about this. We come to you tonight with the moon eclipsed in blood. Indeed. And what better time to talk of Freya? I, I was saying that for me, the fascinating thing about this goddess is the further I explore her, the less of her, of which I am certain. I mean, it's like I'm chasing this phantom, and the closer I get through the mists, the more she begins to vanish. She's primordial. She's thonic. She is clearly for the people who come upon her later, this perceived essence of the dark, fearful aspect of womanhood. Uh, Just deeply mysterious for me, at least as I read her. And it seems like for the people who encounter her, uh, particularly the the men of later ages who look to erase her or eradicate her, so let's praise her. Let's let's celebrate her. Let's shout her out and make sure she is never, ever, ever erased.
1: Right. Also, welcome to Thirty Four Circe Salon. Make matriarchy great again. Today we are praising the goddess Freya, whose name means in Old Norse simply means the lady, and this is in the sense of a. Uh, the equal counterpart to lord not in the sense of like a lady but she is the lady
0: well we've talked about that we're going to explore language uh, another episode but again it's a perfect example of it that is the lady of power lady is the word meaning power as opposed to any diminished form of a word for a powerful woman that usually gets you know, turned into something quaint like governor versus governess or master versus mistress. So um, yeah, she's the, she's a Norse goddess of sex and death, love and war. Um, She is a fertility goddess. Uh, As you said, she rides the boar with golden bristles or a chariot drawn by cats. Mm -hmm. Um, She, it's, it's fascinating to look at just to explore her and, and talk about names that are just Many different names for her, and I think we can look at just what the different names tell us. But what is your, what was your take on her? What was your feeling as you started to dig through her?
1: Well, um, a couple of the readings uh, that I was looking at um, mentioned that she is a virtual double of Anat, who was a, a goddess from the ancient Near East also a lustful warrior, which I think is a beautiful way to describe one of the many facets of her. Um, Mm. But she is uh, we we see this a lot in pantheons where um, goddesses uh, spread across, the worship of the goddess spread across a large area um, is that in some places, she has some attributes. Like in, you know, in uh, various areas of Scandinavia, she may have different attributes in one area than another. Um, but she was, um, she was a, no doubt, a primordial goddess, um, and sometimes um, some of the scholarship looks at her as being. As Frigg and Freya being aspects of the same goddess, um, because her husband's name, Freya's husband's name, Odur, was basically a form of Odin, the IN being a masculine ending. So, very similar names. They have very similar stories in terms of their relationship. So, um, I, I think for the purposes of this uh, podcast, we'll just deal with her as Freya and not tell any stories of Frigg. But um, but they may have been, they probably were originally one goddess that got divided into sort of the, the untamable portion and the domestic portion, which does often haf- happen with goddesses.
0: That's it's it's interesting. I, I I can see aspects of that, but there's something to me, even with what you were talking about with the academic research, that I think is missing her. I think it. I think there are, a lot of them are missing her, and maybe it's not mutually exclusive with the idea that she could have been Frigg, or she was would have been a proto goddess. But there is so much more to this goddess, in my opinion. There's so much more of that can't be explained. It's almost a Robert Graves kind of situation where Robert Graves talked about that mythopoetic aspect of existence. And of course, many scholars dismissed him and some, uh, you know, they dismiss him much like with Gumbudas. Once he deviates from the standard canon of that which the patriarchal overlords say is true about the past, once he deviates from that, then he's crazy. Um, But that's... The thing I pick up with Freya, she's very much the kind of goddess that, that Graves talks about when you are just perceiving her essence. Now, could I say it to you in specific ways? Like, for example, yeah, she might have some uh, parallels with not, but the knot, but her feel is very different. Her feel is is very much uh, uh, the word that uh, that that really comes to mind is thonic. She's that that. Deep, dark, misty place of more her essences of, like I say, the more I kept trying to look for, her, the less I felt I had found her. And so the, the examples I give, you know, when you when you look at the stories about her, it it, it always seems to, again, from a mythopoetic standpoint, it seems to be taking place in a darkened, torchlit room that this a, a room of perhaps a post passion a room where where something has occurred with 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 the lust of the senses and so we have loki you know disparaging her we have gods who want to the or giants who or giants or gods who want something but will only give it or I should say you know something is wanted of them but they'll only give it if they can have freya in their bed it's She is just a constantly longed-for being. And yet at the same time, she's also this warrior. And that aspect sometimes gets lost or diminished when we're looking at this other aspect. But the fact that those two are wed uh, is interesting. And you know, One of the things I think, think I mentioned to you, there are the two uh, two sort of groupings. There's the Vanir. So there's that right, early, right. there's that, you know, the question of scholars you know, for the listeners. Aesir and Vanir, the two, Uh, groupings of gods in this north pantheon
1: right so let's let's start with that let's talk about what we do know about her okay um or what the stories that we do have about her okay so in the scandinavian pantheon there was a war between two different groups of gods the aesir and the vanir and it's sort of um these two groups had different characteristics the aesir uh seemed to be very sort of um I don't know, frosty, icy.
0: Yeah, they're, um, they're clearly war gods, I mean, battle gods in many
1: ways. Um, but they were very much sort of these um, almost like up on Olympus type of gods. They were distant mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. earth. Whereas the Vanir were much more, um, one of those sources that I looked at said, uh, they were similar to how we think of elves today, that they are connected with nature. They are of the, the earth Um, and they knew how to do magic, which is something that the Aesir did not know how to do. So there was a war between these two groups of gods, and um, at the end of the war, there was an exchange of hostages, essentially, and um, Freya was one of the Vanir that was sent to the Aesir uh, to live uh, as a kind of bond, a surety against um, hostilities breaking out in the future. She and her twin brother were sent um, up to the Aesir to live there. And she taught, she is credited with teaching the Aesir magic, including Odin, who, you know, is um, has a lot of magic associated with him, um, and the way that he moved through the world, and the way that he acquired knowledge, um, you know, she was responsible for teaching him how to use magic.
0: Um, there is, a, I just want to jump in. There is an interesting, uh, again, with, with with this goddess, there were all these different variants and variant stories and stories that might be related. There is an there is an old Norse story of a goddess called Goldveig. People think are is essentially Freya associated with Freya. It's a similar thing where the Aesir and Vanir come together, and essentially the story goes: um, uh, she comes to the Hall of Odin and she is speared and burned three times, and she is thrice reborn three times. So she's part of the Vanir. This is during the Aesir-Vanir War, she's one of the Vanir that comes, much like we say Freya's. You know, this was the, the exchange that was made, but in this story, it's Golvig who is brought over. She's brought over, she's, uh, she's burned, she's tortured, and each time she's reborn three times. You know, that's that symbolic number. Gary often talks, Dr. Gary Stickle often talks about the symbolic number. Uh, and then upon her third rebirth, she begins to practice magic. And this is the, the line from the, the poetry, from the poem about it. The war I remember first in the world when the gods with spirits had smitten Golveg, and in the hall of horror had burned her three times burden and three times born often again, yet ever she lives, hate they named her who sought their home, the wide seeing witch, in magic wise minds, she bewitched that were moved by her magic to evil women, a joy she was. There you go. So there is again, this always this, this fearful, connection with the vanier of like you were saying this earthly stuff this mystical stuff and frankly this female stuff yeah um, a very, mm-hmm. very feminine pantheon and uh, just to throw one more thing in there's a pantheon mm-hmm. called the disir d-i-s-i-r or Sir, i've also seen it written and they are specifically an all-female pantheon and that's interesting in scandinavian and, tradition in Scandinavian tradition, nice. and one of Freya's names is Vanadis, right. so she's associated with that. All female deities. We'll talk about them, but please continue with, with yes, her magic. Yes, yes.
1: The Vanabruder, lover of the Vanir, or the Vanadis, goddess of the Vanir.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Um, so she, our name uh, for uh, Friday, comes from Freya. Is a uh, derived from Freya's name. For so, Friday is her day. Goddess of love and sexuality took lovers, is said to have slept with all of the gods at one point or another. Um, so, she completely, even though she was married, she completely owned her own sexuality and slept with whomever she wanted, whenever she wanted to. Um, her home in Asgard was located on the people's plain, Folkvangar. And her palace was called Sesrumnir, rich in seats, and it was huge. And it needed to be huge because um, Freya received first pick of the warriors' souls from the battlefield. Um,
0: what do you make of that? That she gets first pick.
1: Uh, you mean in terms Let me just of you, yeah, what? Yeah, just.
0: It's interesting. Well, it's interesting. She would have first pick. That, in other words, Odin wouldn't get first pick.
1: Right. You would yeah. think
0: you think that it would be Odin. It'd be like, okay, I go first, and okay, whatever's left, you can have.
1: But well, somehow, she's goddess of battle, know, so it makes sense yeah. to me that she gets first pick.
0: Well, I was also thinking just in terms too, just the male female dynamic that it is the goddess who gets first picked of mm. the slain of war, mm-hmm. and not the god. Right you know, and this earthly goddess. So anyway, I think that's that says something certainly about a cultural mindset, but also about this whole pantheon.
1: So um, she, the also the German word "Frau," which is basically uh, the German uh, version of of uh, you know "Miss." Um, it's an it's the um, title for a grown up woman. Um, is uh, derived from Freya. So she gets Friday. And there's also, all throughout Scandinavia, there are place names that are based on Freya. In fact, in the Danish national anthem, um, uh, there is a lovely country, honors the goddess Freya by calling Denmark Freya's Hall.
0: What is that? That's interesting. So... Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sorry, say more about that? Yeah,
1: the, the line goes, uh, a translation obviously, I unfortunately don't speak Danish. Uh, there is a lovely country. It stands with broad beach trees near the salty eastern shore. It bends itself in hill, valley. Its name is Old Denmark, and it is the Hall of Freya.
0: That is amazing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How You know, you have uh, some knowledge uh, of German, correct?
1: A little bit, yeah.
0: Okay, just as curious about yeah. how close Danish would be to that. I imagine it's still...
1: It's not very close, unfortunately. You, not yeah, very close. Yeah. Okay, but right. um, many place names uh, in many farms in Norway have the name uh, Frey. Is how I'm going to pronounce it, but it's F O F R O with the line through it. Y. Mm-hmm. Um, so Freuland is the land of Freya. Um, another example is uh, Freugehof, Freya's Hof, and Hof means hall in German. Um, so uh, there are many Freya's halls, uh, Frolund and Frogberg in Denmark, uh, Freya's land and Freya's um, mountain in Denmark, Frolundia, the land of Freya, and Frutuna in Sweden so um all places all over scandinavia um you know uh pay honor to her by saying "This is the place of Freya
0: hmm um she she definitely has this connection, and then scholars talk about this this folk connection and yes. you brought this up it's very much connected with the regular people the populace and it's and it's interesting it's noted by particular scholars that when later, you know, uh, not just, I I don't want to just paint it as a Christian scholarship thing, but later with advancements in, uh, with, uh, developments in in Europe in the time she gets, she's particularly attacked. She's particularly looked at, uh, with, um, as a danger. So yeah, yeah, yeah. she.
1: And yeah, it was when, when, um, when, uh, they, the, the, Christian church was trying to Christianize Scandinavia. Um, Freya was a particular obstacle because A, she was so well loved. B, she represented independent female sexuality, which is something that the Christian church really didn't know how to deal with, um, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, being uh, one of the most loved of the pagan pantheon. So, um, you know, people didn't want to let go of their worship of Freya. And so she needed to be, basically they, they launched a smear campaign on her. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's, she's a very look, it's, it's like the, like the modern meme that it goes around, you know, get yourself a girl that can do both. I mean, she's a lover and a fighter. She's a warrior and the goddess of sexuality. So yeah. How is that? How do you beat that? If you're coming into a culture, um,
1: got it all. Yeah,
0: She is. I'm
1: sorry. Please. So um, one of the things that she's known for, uh, another thing that she's known for, is her love of fine things, um, specifically of jewelry. And she wears a uh, necklace that um, that was made of gold and amber, uh, amber jewels, and uh, it actually has a name. It's called the Brissangamen and uh because the jewels in it were called the Brissings, they were um, these amazing jewels, and she uh got this necklace from the uh the Land of the Dark elves, Svart Alphaheim. and she was wandering around in a forest one day again, you know, on the surface of the earth in the wild spaces and she saw this cave um and uh she went in because why not she's Freya. And, uh, she saw four, um, small elves who were hard at work by a glowing forge and they were putting together, uh, the most beautiful necklace that had ever been seen by mortal or human, uh, uh, excuse me, mortal or deity. And, um, she decided right then that she's got to have it. She's got to have that necklace. So she offered them, You know all the silver that she could hold. She offered them handfuls upon handfuls of gold, more gold than anyone had ever seen. And every time um, the elves refused to give it to her in exchange. And finally, she was getting impatient, and she said, "You know, what do you want then?" And they said that they wanted each to spend a night with her. So she she was like, "Well, yeah." So she spent a night, uh, four nights in a row, each with one of the uh, four elves. And at the end of that, um, they were so pleased with her and she was so pleased with them that uh, they led her out of the cave and placed the necklace around her neck in the sunlight. Um, And at that point, a rainbow appeared in the sky and the necklace blazed fire a brilliant light and it glistened with a light that created the morning star and it was magic as well so it brought the uh, the knowledge of the heat of the forge in which it was formed it brought uh, the knowledge of gold working with it and so again you know her she brought knowledge to people who did not have knowledge before
0: it's she the uh, the level to which she incites desire i've only seen matched by aphrodite in terms of just everybody that's if you can if there's one thing you can ask for in this mythology in this pantheon, it's the night with freya you know it's just really fascinating to see there's the story um
1: of what the giant, this,
0: yeah. Yeah, the giant. The giant's desire for her as a wife that basically, what does it say, Loki um, is looking for Thor's hammer, right? Is so that I believe that's the way the story plays out. And that unless the Freya is brought to the giant that has the hammer, he's not going to give the hammer back. He wants Freya as a wife, which does not sit well with Freya. But uh, it's, it's, again, that was one of the things. When there's building a wall you know, again, it's another exchange, you know, he's willing to build it for them. uh, If this is a giant, if he gets to be with Freya, once, has Freya as his bride. So it's constantly like, you know, Freya's probably sitting around going, listen, I, I'm not the means of exchange here. Exactly.
1: Exactly. You want to sleep with me? Just freaking ask, but I'll, you know, I also reserve the right to say no. Yeah, she. Also, she's very,
0: very clear. Yeah, very yeah. Clear she's like that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, she also um, has uh, associations with divination. Um, she uh, taught the magic songs of the mystic Seder to the women who she chose to look into the time of what was yet to be. So um, she basically ordained uh, women as seers and prophetesses. Um, so giving uh magic and power to women uh in all of the villages and providing uh the people with knowledge of the future
0: hmm mm-hmm. yeah, she is she, her attributes there again, this is why I do find her so mystical and amorphous in a sense' so she's just she represents those things which you can. You can describe to a certain extent, but never really understand fully that you could sort of see, but can't really grasp. Uh, That's the way she feels to me. She is just this something that is more transcendent, which is probably why she lasts to this day and also lasted so long in the culture, because she does represent these things, which, like I say, I think of as mythopoetic, the, the kinds of things that inspire the heart or the soul right uh, and connect a person um, I, I think it's interesting before we go away from her the desirability of Freya is that at, 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 like you point out it's on her terms mm-hmm. and at, at one point Loki tries to shame her and embarrass her yes, about how, yeah. how you know what a wanton woman she is and right. how she is just you know A lusty and and uncontrolled, and she's basically like, So what? And literally, everyone else is like, So what? This is what (laughs) this is who she is. I mean, I think we were talking about this at one point. If one of the gods interjects and says, Well, sure, she has a lot of different partners, and that's just normal. Uh, so it's interesting that, that there isn't that shame within even the cultural framework, that that's part of the myth. But it's okay for this kind of powerful woman who owns herself to live as she wishes, um, and if, and interestingly, Loki ends up being the one shamed in the whole uh, yeah. gathering. Yeah. But she is this. I mean, for me, she it, it ties to. This notion of again the who the Vanir were and who this Disir, which I've never heard before. I think you and I talked about this. Had you heard of the Disir or no, yeah. yeah, it's it's a collective, basically a collective of female deities. Uh, I guess the Disusir is the abode where they live. So the Disir is who they are, and so the, the I guess what this comes from is they were female spirits. So that's it, that's what it is. Both for the for the Scandinavian, the Norse Pantheon, for the Anglo-Saxons as well. The Anglo-Saxons have this really interesting aspect of this. It's called Madranhit, or Madranit, Mother's Night. And it's it's a particular celebration. Uh, and it happens around New Year's, and it's connected to all these, this matron cult, which I love that phrase, this matron cult of female nice. spirits. Um, they're very much like the Dis, the, the disir. Uh, and the Valkyries are considered Dysir. That's part of the, the notion that they were really from this kind of, this all-female goddess collective. Right. They're fertility spirits, guardian spirits, and warriors. It's really amazing.
1: Nice. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: It's a pantheon that for our, obviously for this podcast, it's a perfect pantheon for us. Absolutely. This, this, and, but she is part of that. But Freya comes out of, the is associated with that. And so you have this sort of, ancient notion of this collective of goddesses, of powerful you know, female spirits. And then you have the Vanir, like we were talking about, who the argument is, one of the things they were, that has been posited is that could the Vanir have represented the pre-Indo-European, you know, everyone listening to this podcast knows we talk a lot about the Amnaya, and the Indo-European invasion, uh, and the, the matriarchal cultures that existed before the Indo-European wheeled wagon warrior showed up and it really it seems to fit sort of nicely with the way we describe it that the aesir like you say there are these olympian sky god Mm -hmm. battle god types and then you have these earthy matriarchal mate you know certainly female centric seeming types of gods but one interesting little aspect of that is there is a in archaeology and in our archaeogenetics right now, there's the exploration of the idea, was Scandinavia the place where that, in terms of language, that first contact, that first clash occurred? Um, and they're thinking that southern Scandinavia is where you get this first contact, where you start getting European languages, the, the pre-existing You know, uh, Anatolian farmer languages that had existed in Europe first come into clash with this pro, with this proto Indo European. So if you think of that in terms of a mythology, it's, it's tantalizing to explore whether that could be how these two come together. It's a clash. It's described as a clash in the mythology itself. These deities are very distinct in terms of their behavior and their, their, their type. And it kind of fits the pattern we talk about a lot, which is, you know, the the naturalistic matriarchal culture clashing with this new kind of like cold and warlike culture. So yeah. sort yeah. of tantalizing possibility.
1: Yeah. And also I want to talk a little bit more about sedir, um Sadir mm-hmm. S E I D R. Um in relationship with Freya, um, because this is this is a uh, it's a pre-Christian Norse magic and shamanism tradition, and it is um, practiced by women, and um, so the the name of the seeress and sorceress um, is vulva. Sounds remarkably like vulva, but it's yeah. v o umlaut l v a vulva, um, and she would travel from town to town uh, performing, uh, uh, and people would come to her and ask her to perform magic and to do divinations in exchange for lodging, food, and you know whatever compensation she asked for. Um, so her social status was. Um, was uh, you know she was both feared and honored as a shaman as as connected to the mystical realm and um you know freya is sort of like the bestower of these powers on the volva um, and uh, during the period that uh, the Fulkewanderung, which was the migration period, four hundred to eight hundred um, CE, um, that immediately preceded the Viking Age in Scandinavia, um, the Völva became the valida, and the valida um, was often the war the war chief's wife. So again, this sort of model of the male warrior um, being wedded to the female representation of the goddess as a further um, further sanctification of his power as a leader. And the Valida, um, w- one of her roles was to, by definition, Um, to be able to predict the outcome of battles and to use her sort of spiritual power to try to influence um, uh, the events of the battles uh, to be successful. And there is uh, some speculation that um, in the epic poem uh, Beowulf, Uh, The name of Frugar's Queen is uh, an old English derivation of Velida, which would have been the title of these sorceresses, um, uh, shaman uh, women.
0: And it's interesting because I had not realized that was a title or honorific in some way, because uh, we're all familiar with Velida in uh, Roman history as the seeress. Um, you know, when the Rome was battling in the Germanic tribes, she was, she became a, a focal point, um, uh, at least this particular Veleta, uh, certainly that, that had been
1: known, uh,
0: and yeah, it's similar a story, to the way that,
1: yeah. uh, similar to the way that, you know, the Romans called, uh, the, the Nubian queen Candace, which was a, you know, a romanization of Kandake, which was a name for a leader. It wasn't a name of a specific person. It was um, a description of a role that became changed into the name of a specific person.
0: Right. And so in this story, that's that's where she gets known, that, that name Veleda. And it's it's interesting because it, it does tie into, to, as well, you know, Tacitus talks about it, this kind of magical notion that he talked about. the So the, the regard that the women in those tribes were held in terms of their magical qualities, mm-hmm. the, the qualities that they brought um, to the table. So you've got... So I mean, it, it shows a very interesting culture because we do know that's a culture where there's a lot of warrior women. We know there's a culture where there's a lot of Women leaders, and then you also have the kind of prophetess seeress So it's you. You can feel that undercurrent there. And again, this is the that aspect of it. I say that's hard to to pinpoint, but that a very earthy element of that. So it's 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 strong. It's deep, and it is it's it's profound. Um, but the magic I thought was interesting too, because I had read different stories about the kinds of smells that these you know would work. Uh, particularly on men, and you and you find throughout the Norse myths a lot of really odd things happening to the gods, you know, to Loki or to Thor, uh, and um, yeah, that feeling is there. Uh, but it's funny you uh, that you zero in on that because I still, when I think of Frey, I think of the martial aspects, and and I think less about the magical aspects.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I love her as a battle goddess as well.
0: No, I just think it's interesting. It's interesting to re- be reminded of that she has that. She has um, all
1: of these aspects. Yes,
0: these different yeah, aspects. She, so. she was
1: all of these things and more. She oversees love, sex, fertility, magic, witchcraft, warcraft, death, pleasure, glory, beauty. You know her so as she was a practitioner of the magical arts, she was a battle goddess. She was a psychopomp who ferried souls from the earth to the afterlife. I mean, she, yeah, she is, she is all of these things.
0: What do you, I mean, as we kind of uh, wind down our, our blood moon eclipse, praise <laughs> of Freya, what do you take from what's your feeling about her? What well, did you think about it before you before you looked into this, and then also now? Yeah,
1: I mean, I don't I don't have a particularly deep connection with Freya, uh, you know, it, like it sounds like you do, um,
0: for sure. Yeah, I yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so I think she's a fantastic goddess. I've always loved her, but uh, but I don't have any deep emotional um, connection with her.
0: Uh, but uh, but beyond that i mean is she is in terms of the the goddesses in terms of the mythology you've seen where do you is she one of the more uh interesting that you've encountered is she remind you of others that uh, that you'd put her into a class with i'm just just curious because for me she is she's she and artemis are two singular goddesses for me they have a very Artemis is very physical and you can, you can get a sense of exactly who she is and what she moves through. Even though we know there, and we talked about, she has that deep aspect to the the great mother. Uh, But again, Freya has the same kind of thing, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's shrouded in mist for me, which I find very interesting.
1: Yeah. Mother of the Vanir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Um, So if you want to connect with Freya, a uh, couple of things um freya is associated with cats as the ones that draw her chariot she's also associated with um with hawks uh she or falcons rather she has a magical falcon feather cloak that enables her to fly um she's also associated with pigs because she rides a battle uh pig um as one of one of her um, ways that she gets from place to place, her colors are yellow, white, green, red, pink, and light blue. She's also associated with rabbits, cuckoos, ladybugs, which I love, uh, oxen, swallows, and boars. And her materials are gold and amber, like her magical necklace. She loves flowers. The plants associated with her are almond, arnica, bedstraw, benzoin, birdberry, clover, cypress, English daisy. She loves flowers, as you can see. English daisy, hemp, henbane, holly and mistletoe, mugwort, poppy, primrose, rose, and strawberry. And if you want to anoint yourself with oils that are associated with Freya, those would be benzoin, birch, cypress, myrrh, rose, and sandalwood. Her favorite foods are ale, apples, barley, edible flowers, honey, mead, and pork. Treating cats well is one way to pay homage to her, either by feeding feral cats or adopting cats and giving them lots of love. She also enjoys love poems and songs as the goddess of love and passion.
0: It is quite the sumptuous uh, adoration that is available to you for her.
1: Indeed, Um, indeed. Anything that gives you pleasure, I would imagine, would be sacred to Freya.
0: Well, I love the aspect of cats I had. Uh, As you know, uh, a very dear pal a little cat. So I'll give him a shout out now in honor of Freya. I miss you, my little buddy. And um, this has been a a really, again, a a, a very mystical journey as I've I've gone a little bit deeper into her, but still no closer to than where I was. It just feels like, you know, you have to kind of surrender to what she which she weaves around you. Uh, she's a very extraordinary goddess. So we thank you, Freya, and we thank you uh, on this interesting, night of the powerful eclipse. night. Yes, yes, night indeed. Eclipse.
1: A powerful so, goddess for a powerful night.
0: Indeed. So this has been the 34 Circe Salon. Make Matriarchy Great Again. We have been praising the goddess Freya. I am Sean Marlon-Newcomb. Thank you for listening.
1: And I am Don Sam Alden. Thank you for joining us. Take care, everyone, and blessed be.